0: Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic.
1: Fact check. True. Well done, Mr. President. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs clouds to the left of me jokers to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you i am from pacifica radio in sweltering los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la also in california in red bluff and redding on kfoi round mountains kkrn and eureka's kgoe Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation. NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and, as far as I know, most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me... From bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey there, remember us? <laughs> hey, Desi, wave to the nice people. Hey, Are you waving? We're back. I want them to think that we have a video podcast that they're not seeing, that is a secret <laughs> that only donors get to see. Anyway, hi, yeah, we're back uh, after some much needed end of summer days off, though apparently nobody told the climate change gods that it was the end of summer.
2: Yeah, certainly not.
1: Uh, At least not out here on the West Coast amid our worst heat wave by far of the year here in Southern California. Uh, A a seemingly non-moving dome of heat that stretches from down here in Southern California all the way up to Canada, where it has been parked and sweltering for days now, uh, with many more days of it to come this week. So if you think I'm whining now, oh, just wait. (laughs) Uh, it, uh, now, frankly, until now, we had a rather pleasant summer in the L.A. area, temperature-wise, as long as you don't notice the extreme drought, running out of water and all of that. But uh, as I know much of the rest of the nation, and frankly, the planet has been sweltering and flooding and grappling with extreme heat yes. and humidity and several thousand-year flash floods within the course of just a few weeks. You know, throughout that time, here in Southern California, and actually, at least near the coast been pretty nice most of the season tolerable
2: within within a heat wave toleration ability no, for me
1: well now no I'm saying until now it has been nice now all bets are off and so to some extent I think it's only fair that we suffer uh, a bit Our uh, do our <laughs> part to suffer you know with everyone else this year um, and by the way in a second floor studio with no air condition and uh, unceasing temperatures in the mid to upper 90s I'm sure, like I said, I'll be whining in various ways about it all week. Apologies in advance. Of course, it is more than just hot, as our good friend of the show, Guy Walton, longtime veteran uh, weather channel meteorologist and now tracker of extreme climate and uh, weather records, as he tweeted on Sunday, quote, On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being typical weather and 10 being utterly bizarre by September standards, this heat stretching from the southwest through Canada has to be an 11. Obvious unwanted change is going on, he says, now due to a climate emergency that no one can deny. Well... Uh, He's right about this being an 11 out of a 1 to 10 scale, but I'm not sure no one can deny it, Guy. Uh, Y'all may recall just before we left for our break on the heels of one extreme climate disaster after another record, you know, all time records, uh, heat records smash in Asia and in Europe and here in the U.S. and like what, five different thousand year floods in about two weeks. Yep. Uh, All across the country. Uh, in the midst of all of that, during the congressional debate over Democrats' landmark investment of some $340 billion for the first time in earnest, directly taking on our worsening climate emergency, Virginia's Republican Congressman Bob Goode actually went on the floor of the U.S. House during all of this, during this debate, to say, There
0: is no climate crisis. It is a hoax. This is the one crisis that even Democrats couldn't create. They've been crying about the climate sky falling for 40 years now, predicting the world would end in 12 years. It is a lie. And fossil fuels are a wonderful thing.
1: (laughs) Now, mind you, that was not uh, 2008 or 2016. That was about two weeks ago on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. So while I agree with Guy Walton's general point uh, that nobody can legitimately deny our climate emergency now ongoing, it doesn't mean that the uh, same old corrupt fossil fuel-sponsored tools in the Republican Party will not continue to deny it anyway.
2: Denial ain't just a river in Egypt.
1: Because that's how they roll, ain't it? This is. Uh, Of course, uh, that means that uh, constituents of folks like Bob Good in, uh, well, at least in other, you know, Republican dominated states like Mississippi, well, they end up paying the price for that denial. Mississippi's capital has taken a step closer toward restoring water service. Officials in Jackson, Mississippi, on Sunday announced that water pressure has finally been restored to most of the city's customers. That, after at least a week where there has been no water to drink or bathe in or flush toilets or even used to fight fires despite plenty of water falling from the sky. Mississippi's capital city has been grappling with multiple water problems following the heavy rainfall just about two weeks ago. Parts of Jackson were without running water because the flooding exacerbated long-standing problems in one of two Water treatment plants in Jackson, the city of 150,000 had already, before these rains came, had already been under a boil water notice for a month because the health department found cloudy water that could cause digestive problems leading to long lines each day for a limited supply of bottled water at distribution sites. Again, that was before things got really bad. Last week after this um Uh, Flooding in Mississippi made everything worse. Mississippi's Republican Governor Tate Reeves declared a state of emergency for Jackson. President Biden approved an emergency declaration request for the state, directing his administration to surge federal assistance to the region where low taxes have frankly resulted in deferred maintenance for years and years on end, for which residents are now paying dearly along with taxpayers across the U.S. who are coming to the rescue of that state. You're welcome, Mississippi. Jackson's Democratic Mayor uh, Chakwe Antar Lumumba said the city's water system is troubled by short staffing and, quote, decades of deferred maintenance. He said the influx of water from torrential rain changed the chemical composition needed for treatment, which slowed the process of pushing water out to customers. So torrential rain, thanks climate change. Jackson faces water system problems it now cannot afford to fix on its own. Mayor Lumumba said uh, fixing Jackson's water system could cost anywhere from 200 million to, quote, billions of dollars. Mississippi is receiving $75 million to address water problems as part of Joe Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill. And uh, obviously, not a moment too soon.
2: No, indeed, it isn't. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, this has been decades in the making for Jackson, Mississippi. And I would say I would place a lot of the blame at the feet of the Republican-controlled state legislature Mm -hmm. because Jackson, um, the city, has struggled to secure state infrastructure funding for years now. Last year, there were two bills that were supposed to help raise money for the water system repairs. Those were not passed. They died in the Mm Republican-controlled legislature last, uh, not last year, but in June 2020. Mm -hmm. Republican Governor Tate Reeves uh, vetoed bipartisan legislation that would have also increased funding for Jackson's water system Mm -hmm. repairs. And no less than um, earlier on Tuesday, Tate Reeves said that he was open to privatizing Jackson's water system. Rather than fixing it or appropriating the proper funding for it, he just wants to privatize it and let somebody else. He is considering privatizing it. Let someone
1: else do it. Let someone profitize from it. Profit from it, it, rather than, you know, doing what needs to be done, raising taxes on wealthy people to be able to take care of everyone else in the state. As of Sunday, according to the city, quote, all of Jackson should now have pressure and most are experiencing uh, normal pressure. That was as of Sunday. They were still telling folks to boil their water, however.
2: I mean, Jackson and is the capital of I the know, state. Yeah, where Tate Reeves lives.
1: And by the way, uh, they they warn that as the water pressure is restored, now they're concerned that it would that it could increase uh, the possibility of the aging pipes breaking. The uh, Jackson mayor also said on a Sunday morning news show, as the boil boil water boil water order was still in place, that the city is quote a matter of days away from water fit for consumption. After weeks without, um, despite that, the mayor said that Jackson is, quote, still in an emergency and will be in an emergency, even as the water is restored to every home and even as the boil water notice is lifted, because that, he says, is the fragile state of our water treatment Mm. facility. Uh, And that, unfortunately, is the state of many such facilities around the country, particularly in states where officials would rather lower taxes on wealthy people than invest in the well-being of their own residents. But in some uh, slightly brighter news coming out of the Labor Day holiday, yes, we are going to be all over the place today trying to get (laughs) get caught up and look forward. Um, Coming out of Labor Day, Americans do appear to be Remembering the need, at least, to take care of their fellow citizens, specifically the working class, according to new polling out this week from uh, this weekend from Gallup. Public support for labor unions is at its highest level since 1965. Hmm. That, according to Gallup's annual pre-Labor Day survey, and as Daily Kos's Laura Clausen notes, if that headline sounds familiar, it's because last year Gallup also found the highest public support for unions since 1965. In 2021, 68% of people surveyed said they approved of labor unions. In 2022, 71% said they approved. That's a three-point jump, and while that's a, uh, quote, statistically similar number, as Gallup puts it, to last year, Um, before the pandemic, the number was only 64%. So we've gone from 64% support of labor unions to 71% in just the past two years. But it is all part of an ongoing trend in the right direction. According to Gallup, quote, support for labor unions was highest in the 1950s when three in four Americans said they approved. Support only dipped below the 50 percent mark once that would be in 2009 but that has improved in the 13 years since then and now sits at a level last seen nearly 60 years ago recent years have seen a series of teacher uprisings against education budgets being cut and lower uh, lower wages this year we had a remarkable string of union wins at uh, starbucks along with one enormous win at amazon Hopefully more on the way. The COVID-19 pandemic, notes Clausen, also spurred many workers to reconsider their relationship with their work and their employers, as workers dubbed, quote, essential at the beginning of the pandemic, later found themselves treated as disposable and workers face the competing pressures of care, work, health and safety and the demands of their employers. Over the past decade plus, unions have also led fights for policies like an increased minimum wage and paid leave. Extremely successful initiatives have happened at the state level, even if those policies at the federal level remain stalled. She notes policies that benefit, by the way, all workers, not just union members. True. When union uh, workers negotiate a raise for themselves and or better benefits for themselves, All workers, all workers at those facilities, uh, union or not, enjoy that same boost. So even if you don't pay attention to the data, uh, Clausen writes, showing that unions reduce economic inequality, it is true, they do. And the old right-wing attacks on unions as purely self-interested, well, they do not, like Jackson, Mississippi, I guess, hold water. (laughs) Uh, So, yes, uh, lots to cover um, and get caught up on, both from last week and this one, with a lot already happening, well, just today, that I know we're going to have to drill down uh, deeper into in the coming days. A couple of those items real quickly, a county elections commissioner from Otero County, New Mexico, a guy named Coy Griffin, leader of the group named Cowboys for Trump, not sure how big of a group that is. It may just be cowboy for Trump. Uh, in any event, uh, he's now a convicted January 6th insurrectionist. He was booted from his job on the County Elections Commission today. Why? Well, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment which bars those who have taken an oath to the Constitution from holding office if they then participate in an insurrection against it, well, that has been applied for the first time since 1869. It's been applied to Coy Griffin uh, under the so-called Insurrection Disqualification Clause of the 14th Amendment. And according to Citizens for Accountability in Washington, or CREW, who filed the uh, lawsuit to remove Griffin from office. This is the first time a court has ruled that January 6th uh, was, in fact, an insurrection. According to the judge in New Mexico, Griffin must be immediately removed from office. Now, hopefully he will not be the last such person to re- to be removed under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, uh, as we have discussed many times on this program with Constitutional Law Attorney John Boniface of Free Speech for People. His group has been suing to remove other such insurrectionists from office, including from Congress and or from the 2022 ballot and or, by the way, from the 2024 ballot. Yeah. Looking at you, Mr. Trump. Anyway, more on that hopefully in the days ahead. Uh, There's also new news out of the uh, MAGA crowd's secretly and well-coordinated efforts to breach sensitive computer voting systems after the 2020 elections in at least four states. Something else that we have been reporting on in detail on this program. Uh, Specifically today, we have news out of Coffee. County, Georgia, where you may recall, if you're a longtime listener here, that the broadcast was the first to break the news on air. uh, I believe several months ago that right wingers had, in fact, been welcomed into the heavily Republican county's election offices to make secret and yes, unlawful copies of computer hard drives and voting databases, etc. last year. We broke the news on this show with Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance, the group that has had a long-time lawsuit against the state of Georgia and its Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, hoping to get rid of their 100% (coughs) unverifiable touchscreen voting systems and replace them with verifiable, hand-marked paper ballots. Well, Marilyn... Marilyn Marks, in the course of her lawsuit, she had learned about this breach in Coffee County uh, by these Trump Republicans who essentially secretly went in and copied all of this software off of all of these computers unlawfully. Uh, we reported it on this show. Uh, Marilyn did, as well as in her lawsuit. And on Tuesday, both CNN and Washington Post, and I believe there was another one from AP, they all ran stories about all of the Republicans who had lied about being in Coffee County uh, who have now been exposed as, yes, being there because they were caught on security camera surveillance video right outside the office. Oopsie. And they were seen going into the facility and staying there for hours upon hours last year Uh, First, on the day after the January 6th insurrection, that did not stop them from going in and and doing what they were doing there. More on that in any event in the coming days uh, as well. Uh, But there's one point that I want you to keep your eye on if you are hearing about this story, because the corporate media outlets are not yet focusing on this aspect. Uh, Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, and his office have claimed that they were investigating what happened in Coffee County for months and months and months. Turns out, as we suggested uh, several months ago, I think, when we last spoke with uh, Marilyn Marks, Raffensperger's office was not actually investigating at all. In fact, they were covering this whole thing up, and it has been left to Marilyn Marks in her lawsuit you know, subpoenaing various documents, subpoenaing the uh, surveillance camera video from Coffee County. It has been up to her. All of the stories that you have, have read or heard about is are coming out of Marilyn Marks lawsuit. In
2: other words, if she had not launched this lawsuit, we would not know about any of this,
1: this whole thing would be covered up because that's what Raffensperger's office was doing. Now, uh, you know, we've got more evidence along those lines that I hope to get to in the days ahead. But in the meantime, with all of the media pressure, you know, thanks to Maryland, Raffensperger's office has finally started What they're calling an investigation. And who are they subpoenaing as part of this investigation? Are they subpoenaing Sidney Powell, the the MAGA Trump attorney who appears to have been coordinating all of these efforts in all of these different states? Are they subpoenaing Doug Logan? Remember him? He's the cyber ninjas guy who led that fake post-election audit in Phoenix, Arizona, that actually confirmed Joe Biden's win in the state. And, Do- and Dean, uh, D- Doug Logan is seen on these surveillance videos that came out uh, on, on Tuesday. Day after day, he is seen going back into the election office in Coffee County, Georgia. Why was he doing that? Why was he going back day after day after day? We still don't know. But are, are they subpoenaing those folks? Nope. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger office has uh, subpoenaed, wait for it, Marilyn Marks, seriously, for testimony and for documents, including, according to their subpoena, uh, emails with the media. Mm. So uh, I guess uh, my emails to Marilyn are likely to show up. Now, that said, I spoke with Marilyn uh, briefly this morning. She says, nope, that's a lie. As far as the uh, emails with the media, the judge on the case made quite clear to Rappensberger's office that they may not subpoena emails to or from media. So I guess I'm safe from that at least. (laughs) I don't know. Um, uh, but Raffensburger, knowing they are not allowed to subpoena those those uh, media emails, said they were doing so anyway. Interesting. That's the kind of liar this guy is. Uh, so he's up for re-election, by the way, in November, Raffensperger. And a lot of people treat him as a hero because he wouldn't help Donald Trump steal the election back in 2020. This guy is no hero. So, um You know, uh, we will see uh, right now folks are not focusing on his efforts, his attempts to cover up this huge breach of the state's voting systems, Uh, whether the uh, media start to realize that aspect of this. Well, that remains to be seen. Anyway, let's take a quick break here. More on elections, both upcoming uh, and uh, recent elections. And if time, some thoughts on the special treatment that Donald Trump appears to now be receiving from a federal judge who he appointed to the federal branch in the criminal case against him for stealing more than, yes, 10,000 pages of government documents, many of them highly classified. Uh, all of that is coming up on today's Welcome Back Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. by stopping by bradblog.com/slash donate and thanks
2: welcome back huh. your Thank dreams you. were your ticket I-
1: Welcome back indeed. Uh, Good to be here, sort of. Did I mention how (laughs) hot it was uh, today? I believe you did, but it is
2: still hot. It It hasn't changed.
1: It is. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. And it's not going to change all week long. I told you to prepare for my whining. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, uh, hey, oh, look, voters in Massachusetts are heading to the polls on uh, Tuesday as we... Uh, Finally, near the end of primary season for this year's critical midterm elections. Once again, as in Maryland earlier this year, all eyes are on the governor's race in Massachusetts because a popular, moderate, Republican governor is not running for re-election in what is largely a liberal-leaning state. And as in Maryland, the GOP primary to fill that seat... Uh, Is coming down to a race between a Trump backed MAGA election denier and a normal, not insane Republican who, well, very well may lose to the MAGA Republican candidate in the primary, clearing the way for the Democrat to uh, take over the governor's mansion thereafter. But we will see. We will, of course, share results from Massachusetts when they are available, hopefully on the next broadcast. And then we're just, uh, we got just one more week of primaries left this season. That's, really? Yeah. That's, wow. You sound excited. Well,
2: yes, I'm glad to see it be over, and yeah. I'm worried about what happens. Well, but yes, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the, the next round, the next and final round of primaries will be next Tuesday in Delaware, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island. So if you haven't uh, made a voting plan for uh, for for folks in those three states, now is a good time in Delaware, New Hampshire and Rhode Island. And then we'll be done with elections for the year. <laughs> oh, no, I guess we won't be. No, we'll have the actual midterms anyway. Uh, all While we were gone and uh, sort of predicted, even though we we tried to avoid making election predictions on this show, but uh, we sort of did anyway. You got the clip of This from uh, au- from August 16. It's actually now possible that a Democrat could win the U.S. House seat in Alaska. What? That guy. <laughs> that guy's really sharp. He nailed Uh, it. Anyway, yeah. Alaska's former quitter of a governor, Sarah Palin, while we were gone. Well, she did not win the special election for the U.S. House to replace Republican Don Young, who passed away earlier this year after holding the seats only the state's only U.S. House seat for nearly 50 years. Sarah Palin did not win. Instead, Democrat Mary Peltola will be the first Alaska native to serve in Congress after defeating both Republican Sarah Palin and Republican Nick Begich under Alaska's new ranked choice voting system. With none of those three in the special election receiving more than 50% of the initial vote, well, third place Nick Begich was removed from the tally his voters Second choices were then redistributed to other candidates. And uh, with about a third of Begich's voters choosing the Democrat, Peltola, as their second choice candidate, well, Peltola was able to hold on to her lead and she won the special election to fill the remainder of Don Young's term through the end of the year. Now, if you have any questions about that counting and if it was accurate, Uh, Well, good luck in figuring it out, because you can't do it without computers when it comes to ranked choice voting. It's very difficult to oversee, but that's what Alaska tells us now uh, on the same day. So uh, Peltola, I believe she's probably already been sworn in uh, to office. She will only be there through the end of the year, at least from this special election, because on the same day as the August 16 special election, about 30 candidates ran In the open primary for the full term, uh, for the full two year term for the one House seat in Alaska, beginning next year. And once again, in that primary election, voters chose Peltola, Palin and Begich in the uh, top three of the four slots that will now go on to the November general election where ranked choice voting will be used again. We will see if Peltola And what will then be her incumbency of, what, about three or four months. Right. We'll see if that uh, holds up to the uh, other candidates for a full term after yet another astounding and surprising win for a Democrat in a special House election following the overturning of Roe v. Wade by the Republicans' packed and stolen U.S. Supreme Court majority early this summer. By the way, uh, Sarah Palin has been trying to get Begich to drop out of that race.
2: I'll bet she has.
1: Begich is declining. He's refusing to do so uh, and, as before, he was running hard against Palin. We'll see if that strategy works any better for him this time or if it works really well, again, for the Democrat. So, um, also, uh, while we were out, and as we've been arguing for months now, particularly with the Supreme Court, uh, about to hear Moore v. Harper next month, which is a case that could literally legalize the theft of presidential elections by GOP-controlled contro- state legislatures in swing states. We, uh, we've been warning for months about this. Now Joe Biden, thankfully, has also begun to notice that democracy itself is now very much at stake in this country and indeed is on the November ballot, even if what he described as MAGA Republicans, uh, you know, have decided, well, they're they're just fine with, uh, yes, authoritarianism and fascism taking the place of democracy. So Joe Biden comes out in favor of democracy. Republicans are furious about it, which I guess means they're against democracy.
2: I think they are.
1: I, so. Yeah, well, they certainly are. They've least, decided
2: well, that democracy is not worth keeping if they are not in power.
1: It's not for them. It's just not. We tried it. We didn't care for it. We like it better when, when, we when win. one party rule decides yes. we win. Yeah. If
2: anybody else wins, it's cheating. But if we win, then, of course, it's legit.
1: In any event, by now, I'm sure you have uh, seen and heard plenty, at least I hope that you've seen and heard plenty from uh, Joe Biden's primetime speech last thursday was it yeah. outside of uh, independence hall in philadelphia where the constitution or the independence uh, 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 the declaration of independence was signed uh warning that uh, quote extreme ideology of donald trump trump and his followers quote threatens the very foundation of our republic he was and is of course absolutely correct and I'm really hoping that everyone listening to this program, at least, has long come to understand that. But the media coverage after that uh, speech is, is what I want to talk about for a minute here, because desc- they described the speech as a political speech, as a partisan speech. And in fact, none of the broadcast networks even covered it, You know, much less Fox News, of course. But it was kind of amazing that, you know, a president of the United States comes out and says democracy itself is endangered right now, is now on the ballot in the months ahead, and the networks were like, yeah, well, we got to run Malcolm in the Middle instead, or whatever the hell it is that I don't even know yeah, he's on anymore. Yeah, they chose run but
2: reruns.
1: Yeah, uh, summer reruns, you're right. It's not even the, the beginning of the... So uh, as TPM's Kate Riga mentioned in her coverage, uh, quote, while mainstream media outlets wrung their hands over the, quote, political nature of the speech, right wingers had already moved on to predicting mayhem and bloodshed at the hands of the, quote, demagogic and demonic (laughs) Joe Biden. Which, of course, uh, sort of proves Biden's point, Uh, you know, in one sense that, quote, uh, as he said, too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Adding, quote, anyone who calls for the use of violence fails to condemn violence when it's used, refuses to acknowledge when election has been won, insist on changing the rules to count votes. That is a threat to democracy. So he says that. And they call him a, a tyrant and a, a demonic demagogue. Really? So that's what we expect, of course, from the right. But to our corporate media, apparently, all of this is, is is just politics. It's just politics. It's just partisan politics. One of my absolute favorite Twitter accounts of late is something called the New York Times Pitchbot. <laughs> Yes. Uh, If you're not following them, you should. Uh, It's a satirical Twitter account that sort of pitches, so to speak, the kind of both sides articles that the New York Times has been running for years now. The New York Times uh, pitchbot, their their response to all of this over the weekend uh, was this, quote, Whether it's Republicans acting like fascists or Democrats pointing out that Republicans are acting like fascists, both sides have a fascism problem. <laughs> that's kind of that's the sort of thing you get from New York Times pitchbot. Sadly, it's sort of the thing you get from The New York Times these days. So it's a funny joke. But guess what? It's not that much of a joke. The next day after that satirical tweet uh, on Monday this week, Francesca Chambers of USA Today was on CNN. She was commenting on what. Uh, CNN's John King described as uh, a woman who was invited to speak at a Donald Trump rally in Pennsylvania over the weekend. She apparently leads a support group for those who have been charged uh, with involvement in the January 6th insurrection, uh, including apparently the woman's own nephew, who you may have seen photos of. He is this guy who has a Hitler mustache. And he wears his hair like Hitler in these photos. He has a
2: bit of a Hitler obsession. Yeah, he's like. a,
1: a cos- cosplaying uh, fan of, of the former Nazi leader. So the satirical tweet from the New York Times pitchbot skewering the media for both sidesing our current state of affairs... After a president of the United States had to give a primetime speech in support of democracy, warning about the increasingly fascist nature of the Republican Party, their tweet reads, quote, Whether it's Republicans acting like fascists or Democrats pointing out that Republicans are acting like fascists, both sides have a fascism problem. Well, this is an actual response on CNN from this actual USA Today reporter, Francesca Chambers, to a point that King was making. He was talking about how Republicans are trying to turn Biden's remarks into an outrage, an attack on millions of their voters. And USA Today's Francesca Chambers actually said this in in her response. Just when the Republicans think they could make this an issue, uh, you judge somebody by the company they keep, right? That's an old standard. Uh, Donald Trump allows to speak at his rally in Pennsylvania, Cynthia Hughes. She runs a support group uh, for people charged in the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Uh, She says and spoke out in support of a man she says is her nephew. His name is Timothy Hill Cusinelli. The judge in charge of his case wanted to keep him in prison because of his things he has said, I'll say allegedly has said here, um, that uh, he wished Hitler would have finished the job. Um, Anti-Semitic things, hateful things. Uh, how, How should voters process that that's who Donald Trump wants to speak at his rallies?
0: optics are everything, as you know, in politics, John. And uh, as you can see there, the former president of the United States has run into some issues with optics coming out of his rally this week. And at the same time, you also saw uh, President Biden come into uh, some criticism for optics coming out of um, his event this week, not comparing those two, but just saying that President Biden and former President Trump are are having some some difficulties when it comes to optical issues that both could have avoided uh, in the past week.
2: So not comparing the two, but kind of comparing the the two. two. Absolutely.
1: Comparing one former president who invites a woman to, you know, who is defending defending
2: her her Nazi nephew
1: to Joe Biden, who goes to Independence Hall and gives a speech warning that democracy is under threat. And yes, both sides have an optics problem. Really? 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 What was the optics problem? They used too much red light on that speech uh, in in Philadelphia? Is that the optics problem? So that woman, Francesca Chambers, an actual uh, member of our uh, corporate media who we talk about quite a bit on this show actually doing not a satire like that Twitter account, but actually saying both sides, both sides have an optics problem.
2: And the worst thing is that I have seen similar comments to Francesca Chambers making it sound like, well, you know, they, they both have a problem with fascism, as you have said. Yeah, I've seen that in a number of places across a number of uh, media They actually do it. Outlets.
1: Both sides, both sides are the same. You know, they both have... As to the uh, corporate media coverage of the actual Biden speech itself, uh, again, in support of democracy, our friend Dan Frumkin, a uh, longtime now former Washington Post columnist, current media critic at presswatchers.org, uh he writes, uh I am not a fan of contemporary fact-checking. By doling out insipid critiques of minutiae today's fact-checkers actually obscure the crucial question of who is credible and who is not. He says, but I would have loved to have seen some fact checks of President Biden's Thursday night address on the threats to democracy posed by MAGA republicanism. Was he right or was he wrong? The journalistic imperative was to ask and answer. Biden sounded the alarm Thursday night. Was he right or was he wrong? Biden said what's going on is not normal. Was he right or was he wrong? Biden said MAGA Republicans, quote, promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. Unquote. Was he right or was he wrong? Biden said MAGA Republicans, quote, refuse to accept the results of a free election and are taking steps to undermine them going forward. Was he right or was he wrong? Biden said MAGA Republicans see the insurrectionists who violently attempted to disrupt the transition of power as patriots. Was he right or wrong? Biden said, quote, America is at an inflection point, one of those moments that determine the shape of everything that's to come after. Was he right or was he wrong? Frumkin says any halfway reality based fact check would have ruled true, 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 true. True and true. And Frumkin leads uh, links each true uh, to evidence that supports its truthfulness. But there were no such fact checks, he writes. There were no fact checks at all because the national media does not want to engage in these questions head on. Instead of directly addressing the substance of his speech, our elite political reporters stuck to their way of doing things. They marginalized any mention of the threat to democracy as a purely partisan attack. They cast the speech as a tired campaign move. They raised quibbles about the optics. They also downplayed it like it didn't really matter. And that's something that, you know, I've been talking about for I don't know how many years on this show when I come on and talk about these threats to democracy. And the response that I would hear from, you know, corporate media is, oh, you're just being partisan. No, no. Thomas uh, Schaller, a um, political science professor uh, on on Twitter, said, uh, here's a shorter way to say this where once we had a liberal and a conservative party arguing over policy, we now have a liberal and an illiberal party arguing over democracy. That's an accurate way to to, to say it. Is it that hard for the media to put it that way? Apparently it is. Back to Frumkin here, he says, whether the nation heard what Biden was saying has yet to be seen, but the nation's most influential political reporters could not hear it. They literally could not take it in because it would have meant acknowledging how far from truth-telling they have fallen. Frumkin notes one national correspondent was willing to say that it was all true the day after Biden's remarks and the day after, by the way, Donald Trump had promised pardons to all of those who he had incited to attack the Capitol to try and prevent the peaceful transfer of power— um, that uh, that day, CNN's veteran White House correspondent John Harwood had this to say at 10 a.m. on Friday, the morning after Biden's remarks.
0: The issues that he's talking about are inherently political, but I think it's also important to say that the core point he made in that political speech about a threat to democracy is true. Now, that's something that's not easy for us as journalists to say. We're brought up to believe there's two uh, different political parties with different Uh, points of view, and we don't take sides in honest disagreements between them. But that's not what we're talking about. These are not honest disagreements. The Republican Party right now is led by a dishonest demagogue. Many, many Republicans are rallying behind his lies about the 2020 election and other things as well, and a significant portion or a uh, sufficient portion uh, of the constituency that they're leading attacked the Capitol on January 6th violently. By uh, offering pardons or suggesting pardons for those people who violently attacked the Capitol, uh, which you've been pointing out uh, numerous times this morning, Donald Trump made Joe Biden's point for him.
1: Yes, he did. And thank you, Mr. Harwood. I, you know, Calling Donald Trump a dishonest demagogue and saying that he li- lies about the 2020 election, that's not a partisan issue. Those are fact, facts. They could be <laughs> fact-checked. Yes or no. True or false. Uh, And so uh, thank you, Mr. Harwood. But apparently that is hard. You would think that that shouldn't be that hard, but apparently it is because it's that sort of thing that has resulted in that veteran White House correspondent, John Harwood, now being out of a job. So John Harwood made those remarks at 10 a.m. and at noon on that same day on uh, Friday last week, as Frumkin noted, he was no longer with CNN. Now, to be fair, Frumkin added, uh, a source with knowledge told him uh, that uh, Harwood's situation, um, that Harwood had been informed last month that Friday would be his last day, even though he was on a long-term contract.
2: Yes, um, according to that uh, number of sources, Mm -hmm. he had a two-year contract and they were kicking him out of his contract early.
1: So uh, Frumkin's source told him that Harwood, uh, quote, used one of his last live shots to send a message. Whether that message was received, that remains to be seen. Uh, You'll recall the last time that we spoke with Frumkin on this show was about two weeks ago after CNN had also fired its longtime media critic, Brian Stelter. So um, this may be by way of uh, just another quick thank you to all of you who allow us to remain on your public airwaves with your support at bradblog.com slash donate because if you're counting on the uh, mainstream corporate media even an outlet like CNN to tell you the truth about what's going on well that's going to get harder and harder not easier in the days, weeks, months, years ahead
2: I have a feeling that CNN this current version of CNN with its current management would have fired Edward R. Murrow
1: Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Quick break and we're back with uh, some thoughts on Donald Trump and the special master now appointed to his case uh, by the, uh, well, the judge that he appointed. I'll just say that the judge that he appointed to the federal bench in Florida. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. All right. And finally, today, uh, in what AP describes as a legal victory for former President Donald Trump, a federal judge on Monday, one who Donald Trump himself nominated in 2020 to a lifetime job on the federal bench, granted his request for a special master to review documents seized by the FBI from his Florida home and temporarily halted The Justice Department's use of the records for investigative purposes, the decision by U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon authorizes an outside legal expert to review the records taken during the August 8th search, where it has now been discovered that the disgraced former president appears to have stolen at least A 1,000 highly classified pages, by the way, and over 10,000 pages overall of government records from during his time in the White House. The judge's order requires a special master now to weed out uh, from from the rest of the investigation any documents that might be protected by claims of attorney-client privilege or executive privilege. Even though Trump has neither claimed executive privilege nor does he actually have any because he is no longer the president, that privilege rests with the actual executive, President Biden. Neither, by the way, when it comes to attorney client privilege, you know, usually they'll have a special master when a law office is raided, for example, for some reason, and they, you know, want to make sure that. The uh, people who searched the office did not see documents from a separate case that has nothing to do with the reason they originally searched it. So all of this is highly unusual. It comes as uh, despite strenuous objections from the DOJ, which had said that a special master was not necessary in part because officials had already completed their review of any potentially privileged documents. Any harm that would be done, if there was to be any, was already done. It was a done deal because they've already looked at all of the documents. Um, And so that harm would not be prevented by the appointment of a special master In fact, what will happen is it will only delay the investigation into these alleged crimes by the former president, including violations of the Espionage Act and so forth. Now, um, one of the, the the department is now deciding whether they're going to appeal this decision or not. But one of the nice things about taking some time off from doing a show every day is that I actually get to read entire legal motions
2: What a concept,
1: you know, before having to go on air and try to make sense of them. And I know it's, it's a bit of a busman's holiday, but I was able to read the DOJ's blistering 36 page pleading against appointing a special master as well as uh, Team Trump's ridiculous 16-page response, as well as the Trump judge's 24-page order basically saying, yeah, DOJ, you're, you're probably right about everything, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway just because. And really, the reasoning was not much better than that. Um, and the response from law experts on Twitter has also been blistering against the judge's unprecedented ruling here. Uh, Steve Vladek of the University of Texas Law School said this ruling is preposterous, especially the part where it blocks the government from continuing to use the materials that are already in its possession. It's unclear whether anything like this has ever been done before, where they would say, "Okay, that criminal investigation you're doing over there in the executive branch, the judiciary uh, uh, branch says you must stop You must just stop it cold, despite the fact that the judiciary branch had already said, yes, you can go and search for these documents. Uh, Asha Rangappa, the former FBI special agent, she's the editor of Just Security, said this judge basically did Trump's lawyers work for them, making arguments that Trump did not brief or argue in his own motion, making executive privilege arguments that Trump did not press in the hearing, granting an injunction on the entire thing when one was not requested. Mark Zaid, the national security attorney, said, uh, Given that POTUS, the president of the United States, decides application of executive privilege, I am hard pressed to understand how a special master can presumably overrule a sitting president. ...and come in and decide, well, this is uh, executive privilege uh, applies here.
2: Even though he's no longer, Trump is no longer the executive. And the
1: executive has not invoked executive privilege. Right. But a special master can now do this. So in every way, like I said, I read the entire uh, uh, pleading. It's ridiculous what the judge is doing here. That said... I, the ruling is terrible. She is a corrupted judge. I understand that folks are outraged by her ruling on Monday. But first, you know, we will see if it gets appealed and then we'll have to wait and see how long the 11th Circuit, uh, which is now also filled with a majority of Trump judges, how long they just you know sit on the appeal if, in fact, the uh, Department of Justice decides to appeal. But while everyone is was really outraged about this on money, it seems like, you know, we've got uh, two settings at this point in this country, zero and 11. (laughs) I'm not sure that this decision, as corrupt and ridiculous as it is, is worth the outrage that so many felt uh, in, in response to this ruling. It was terrible, like I said, but really, it's only going to delay the investigation. It will not kill it entirely. If she had ordered somehow to kill the uh, entire investigation, or if her special master turns out, when they appoint one, turns out to be, I don't know, Rudy Giuliani, that would be something to be outraged about. As such, if this moves forward, really in a sort of a worst case scenario, we're looking at a delay of maybe four to five weeks. And it's unclear what the DOJ can actually do in the meantime, even while a special master is looking at those documents. I'm just not—it's terrible, but I'm not sure it is worth the outrage and exploding heads uh, that I've heard from from folks over the last 24 hours well, or so. Well I
2: think it it builds uh it builds on to the outrage and the the responses people have had to these disturbing uh rulings that show how Trump has eroded and degraded and corrupted the federal judiciary. Yeah. So maybe this this one ruling bonkers as it is is not perhaps as uh as bad as far as the long-term success of the investigation but it is a sign another sign of just how corrupted the yep. judiciary has it is
1: absolutely maddening and i'm not suggesting otherwise yes but maybe we need to pick and choose what we are going to be maddened about right now there's a lot to be maddened about i get it uh, i'm not sure i'm just not sure this is the one you know this is worth all of the fury right. when there's so much else that folks do need to be concerned about at the moment particularly in advance of the November midterm elections but you're right desi doyen is absolutely a reminder of what happens When people do not vote and when they allow a corrupt, dangerous, lying demagogue and apparent thief uh, like Donald Trump to become president, you know, this allows the entire system of American justice to become corrupted in the bargain, potentially for generations.
2: When you don't show up, the bad guys do.
1: Well said. And with that, Desi Doyen, thank you very much. Uh, She is our producer, but we've got to get out. My thanks to Des and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at Bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who stopped by Bradblog.com slash donate and help us stay on your public airwaves. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at TheBradBlog. I will see you there until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.